Hey, what's going on, Philip? It is season three, episode nine. How are you doing, man? Hey, Brian. I'm okay, man. I made the mistake of going out and running on the surface of the sun again today, so I think I've been sweating for five hours, but otherwise, pretty good. I'm just going to attach a bucket to you constantly because you're, oh, every every episode I come in, you're running or something. I've been thinking about buying <laughs> one of those. you every time you come in. Yellow Febreze <laughs> bottle in the studio. I like that. I've been thinking about buying one of those like big over-the-shoulder portable personal air conditioning systems. Wouldn't that be heavy? Didn't the Michael pick it up? (laughs) Probably. All right. Well, we have a special guest here today, so let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Neighbors Don't Knock, the show where two neighbors drop by for conversations that are fun, relevant, and downright hilarious. Join them and special guests in their mission to talk about anything and everything and laugh about it no matter what. Now, here's your hosts, Brian Chambers and Philip Goffrey. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us here on Neighbors Don't Knock. If you have never been here with us before, well, you are in for a treat. But go ahead and take a moment and subscribe to the podcast. We have new episodes every Friday. Hit us up on social media with questions, comments, and just some general love. We can find us on Instagram at, at NDK Podcast. Yeah, that's what we always say. Like, subscribe, and follow. Like, subscribe, and follow. Sma- what do they say? The, the, the younger ones, like, smash that like button. Smash that smash like that, button. Smash that like button. I'm just not that cool, man. <laughs> well, Do you think I could pull it off? Come on now. Well, you're much more uh, in tune with those things than I am. Just because I'm short doesn't mean I'm younger, although I am younger than you. <laughs> younger at both, uh, both, both ranges. Actually and at heart. Yeah, there we you, go. You definitely are. Well, today we are going to have a, we have a, are going to get to our guest in just a second, but it's been a fantastic week you know check out old episodes we've had brilliant guests we are going to have some more great guests coming on later this season so you're going to want to make sure you subscribe we are and we couldn't be more excited about bringing more voices and more stories into this ever-expanding neighborhood but today we are joined by an amazingly talented performer she's been a professional actress since she was only 15 years old she cut her teeth uh, in the hit musical Parade, which I know is near and dear to your heart. It's a very cool thing to be a part of that. She was actually at the first New York reading of that show, and she performed it both at LCT Broadway and on the national tour. She's a diehard New Yorker living in the Big Apple since graduating from NYU Tisch. Her resume is far too long to squeeze into this show, but it includes the Sound of Music national tour, the off-Broadway show College of the Musical, Pages on pages of voiceover credits for commercials, TV shows, film, audiobooks. She even won an Audiophile Earphones Award tied with none other than Paul Rudd and Tina Fey. As if that's not enough, she's a wife, mother, tough-as-nails pre-cancer surgery pioneer, cabaret performer, and a passionate pole dancer. I am very proud to introduce today's guest, my longtime friend and high school classmate, Emily Klein. Emily, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. I apologize for bumbling through that a little bit, but Emily, honestly, he's your star- resume. He's starstruck. He's so, song- <laughs> he's so starstruck. It's unbelievable. I, will, I am. I will make two caveats. Well, one is, I mean, hit musical, amazing musical. Yes, hit. I wouldn't, it wasn't a flop. It just wasn't, it should have had a longer life. Smash hit in Brian Chambers' world. I think it's, I think it's having more life now. It is a fan favorite. That's all right. It's a, it is a fan favorite and I think it's getting more life now. I think it's, we're going to see a resurgence of that musical. Before you get to the second caveat, would it be fair then to call it a cult hit? 
I that's exactly what I would call it. And when I talk to people, uh, you know, what have you done with this, that? And I always bring that up first. And if they're super, you know, theater nerds or maybe not even, they go totally like fanboy or girl on me. And I'm so glad that I didn't do like, you know, Cyrano or, you know, something that ran for like three performances. Um, so it's a good it's a good one. People get really, really excited about it. I've met Tony, uh, Tony Award winning and Tony Award nominated actors that start like fanboying on me. They're like, you're in parade. I have to take a selfie with you and send it to my wife. And I get very excited about that. That's awesome. Well, I, I was fangirling on that or fanboying. Sorry. Am I, I don't fan, know am if I, it's B-O-I. Girl? I'm, I'm too old for the. the oh, you know. well, I just want to just to get this out of the way, because it, obviously it's one of the bigger things that you are known for on your resume. Like if people look at it, is that correct? Is that fair to say? I would say so. Yeah. OK. Yeah. How was it to work? I mean, because that was you were at a younger age when you when you did this show. But how was it to work in that kind of setting? on Broadway at that age and with, with Hal Prince? It was slightly terrifying at the beginning, um, but he was the nicest, most generous, most amazing man. I mean, you're, you're working with a living legend. And when he came up to me and, and there wasn't a ton, our, our main number was choreographed by Patricia Birch, who is known for choreographing Grease and the movie and choreographing and directing uh, the beloved movie Grease 2. Um, I don't know. Cool, cool, one, cool, cool rider. Exactly. <laughs> See, this was going to um, happen the whole time. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I was only in like one scene where he really directed me. And it was, it was thrilling. Like every, I had, I think I said two, two lines in that. And one of them was like the truth. And he was like, can you do it this way? And I was like, oh my goodness, Hal Prince is telling me how to do this. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite Hal Prince stories was um, when I auditioned. So I had auditioned for uh, Whistle Down the Wind, which was um, a Hal Prince and Andrew Lloyd Webber production that never made it to Broadway. And I had had about six callbacks and it was down to me. And I think there were, you know, five of us for two roles or something. I went in and my big at, you know, I was 14 at the time, 15, 14. And my big uh, audition number was Vanilla Ice Cream from She Loves Me, which is a, it used to be a very, very overdone number. It's also an ingenue number and not really what a 15 year old girl would be singing. And in the song, she's writing a letter and I would stand there and sing it. And when I went in for Hal Prince, he stopped me and he directed me and said, you know, put your hand out, write the letter, do this and directed during my audition, directed my audition. And then I sang it and then he shushed everybody and applauded. It, that's like getting oh. a, your own personal workshop right there. Yeah, it, like and and then what's crazy is I did not get Whistle Down the Wind devastated and this is you know one of those I tell this to anybody that's starting out acting you know that you'll audition for a hundred things you won't get anything but any opportunity is not a missed opportunity any audition is something and so you know six six callbacks and I didn't get it and then Whistled on the Wind never made it to Broadway. They had the marquee up and everything never made it and then um, a couple of months later Hal, I'm going to say Hal called, Hal called my 
my manager oh, and ask yeah. if rubbing, how, rub, know, rubbing how, shoulders yeah. now. Right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, how? What can um, I do for you? <laughs> he called my manager and asked if I would be interested in doing a reading of his new musical. So I never actually really auditioned for Parade. So you definitely beat me to the punch of asking about how all that happened, because despite the fact that you and I were in school together, I had no idea that you were doing all of this until all of a sudden it's like, oh, Emily got cast on Broadway. She's going to be gone for a little while. Poof. And off and off you went. <laughs> well, hold on real quick. Just for our listeners who aren't real big in the theater world, just to realize how how legendary Harold Prince is. 21 Tony Awards. I mean, eight for directing, eight for producing, um, two as best producer of a musical, and three special awards. I mean, the, the man has worked, we were talking big things as Phantom of the Opera, Cabaret, A Company, West Side Story, Fiddler on the Roof, Sweeney Todd, all the, I mean, legendary across the board. As you're going down that entire list, all I can picture is all the awards on the shelf and how he reinforced it. I'm thinking to myself, well, I would put in a uh, lateral support I will support send there. you a picture. So he had a... Um, um, a Christmas party. I think it was it was a Christmas party or, or some some party at his residence on uh, Fifth Avenue, overlooking the park. And oh, of course, of course so, it is. <laughs> of course it is. Of course, we're, we're, hang, on, hang on a second. I, I just want you to know that you just classic New Yorkered yourself right there. Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> it's just dropping where it is. Right. What is overlooking? <laughs> That was totally a New York City thing to do. I love it. <laughs> Overly. Um, and there were, you know, adults in the show, and then there were about five of us that aged aged for about, you know, 15 to 19. And we snuck into his office, and he just had them on, like, a bookshelf, double stacked, just, like, chill it out. There <laughs> just, weren't... Just, I, just, I don't have any more room. Was, yeah, it literally was like, and there's this Kennedy Center honors, just like he hasn't even put it in a thing yet. Like, it's just there. And like, you could take one, he probably wouldn't even notice. I'll just, I'll win another one next year. <laughs> Emily, have you, when, when you were, when you were very young and you were going through these first readings, did you ever do any of your readings like in somebody's place in New York, like in an apartment or anything like that? I did. Um, Actually, I did it. Um, Hal Prince's daughter, Daisy, I did a reading in her house. And what was crazy about that? So that was um, I had done the tour of Parade and uh, the woman who played Lucille, uh, Andrea Burns, who's phenomenal. Her husband, Peter Flynn, had written a musical with uh, Brooks Eschmankis, who's great he was just in the prom on broadway and uh you know normally you can invite people to these readings and i remember going up to him and i said you know can i invite anyone to this reading and he said no uh it's gonna be really closed it's just in you know daisy's living room we're gonna invite jason or brown and uh you know how will be there <laughs> all first name and, sorry <laughs> that's <yeah>. great <laughs> and steve sondheim <laughs> Oh, 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 see, of, of course, that's, you know, I'll, I'll invite Steven too. Schwartz. Right, just Steve, just Steve. <laughs> and, and this was like in a living room and they were on the couch and we were just in these makeshift yeah. chairs. And I, it, what's funny is that I was, when I think back to it now, it's, it amazes me. But when I was in it, it didn't, it was just something that that happened that's actually exactly why i asked the question because I, I don't think you and i ever talked about this but i had the opportunity to do a reading when i was uh 12 or 13 years old 
there was this Broadway and off-Broadway writer named Herb Duvall. I couldn't name any of his works to save my life, but he had just written a piece and they were doing the readings to try to raise funding, right? So they had all the producers and they were trying to figure out if this thing was ever going to make it. And I got invited to do this, this reading for this young boy that he needed in the production. And it was just like that. It was in this living room in Manhattan, right? Everyone is on fold-out chairs or lounging around on couches. And I'm probably amongst... Broadway royalty and don't know it because I'm a shithead little kid from Connecticut and I had no clue. Do the reading. It was fun. Well, and that's I, when you find out who people are afterwards when you're just kind of talking. Well, my parents were talking and I was sort of just sitting there being like, what the hell did I just do? I had no acting experience whatsoever with the exception of some little, you know, school plays and things like that. And I was told to audition if it ever made it, you know, past this point. And then my parents uh, in the car on the way home told me, no way, no how am I going to be an actor in New York City? So <laughs> don't, don't bother auditioning. And, and that ended that. And it was like, oh, OK, I guess I'm going to go back to being, you know, a wayward little kid. Well, they do that. They actually do that here. I mean, actually everywhere. I mean, because there's a lot of people that live places that produce. And so they fly people in because I, I've done a couple of things. Um with people that were very high profile Broadway people that I hadn't really worked with or heard of. And, you know, they needed someone to, to help sing one number or to show up and do a reading. And so I've done a few of them, but you, like, like you say, if you're, if you don't know who it is specifically, you just show up and you do your thing. And that's why, I mean, well, that's but of why course, I, but Steven, if, if, if Steven showed up, I'd know who that was. I mean, I knew exactly who he was. <laughs> I and, mean, that's, and, that's another well, level. That's, that's why I that's asked another the question. Level. That was my next What's question was, did you know, you know? I, I knew who he was. Thinking back to this time in my life where there's Jason R. Brown, Hal Prince, Daisy Prince, Brooks Eshmankis, Peter Flynn, and Steve Sondheim, just all sitting on a couch watching and I knew who they all were and what they meant. And I wasn't phased by it, which is insane. How old were you at that point? Um, that was after parades. So I was, oh, I okay. think so I you, was, yeah, like so 17, 18. So you had okay. a little bit of confidence at that point, right? I mean, you, you yeah. went, I mean, there's something about doing, being in a stage in New York where you just, you have a little bit of any nerves. You're just kind of like, mm, I've done it, right? Is that, or is that maybe a little different? I, I rarely got nervous. Um, and especially like once I started singing, then anything would go away. Do you uh, get more nervous now or have you been able to maintain that sort of cool cucumber approach? No, to I don't, you know, you get the little shot of adrenaline and, and I do a lot of concert work now where you're learning something like the day of or the day before. So you want to get the words right and everything. Um, and so it's a quick, you know, go through that. And then once you step on stage and the lights go on, it's like, you're just in it, I'm, you're sort of transported to another place, which is crazy because I am in, I wouldn't say I'm an anxious person off stage, but I wouldn't. I understand. I understand. So performance calms you down, right? <laughs> but yeah. you did, you did, um, you did an interview saying that you, you did have some kind of anxiety, especially when it came to like the dance portion and things like that. Talk about that a little bit because I, I, music apparently is, it, sues you as you're doing your thing right mm. how did that play into doing an audition with new with all these new york elite and, and people on broadway as you went forward did it change the way you your career went because of that or was it something else um with the dancing or just, just with just the anxiety or of that whole aspect of of the dance when Parade was on Broadway, it, I feel like it was sort of the end of an era, the end of this sort of Hal Prince, Stephen Sondheim musical era. It was it was contemporary, but 
it was still sort of of the of the old world. And back then you would have a dancing chorus and a singing chorus or musicals would mostly be, uh, you know, I was a singer who could move a mover. Um, and I did dance and parade. And then, you know, when they'd have big dances, the five people that really dance would would come on. And then fast forward, you know, through college and, you know, then we switch over to more contemporary shows. We get a lot of the American idols. And now it's like the whole idea of the triple threat. Every single person in the ensemble or like a featured role is doing, you know, backflips. And so I have it switched. It used to be, you know, you would sing. And then if they liked you saying that liked your singing, they would have you come back for the the dance call. And the dance call was like nothing like for sound of music. It was like a couple of twirls or something. Um, And what they started doing was they started having the dance calls first. And then if you could do that, they would ask you to sing. And that's where I just was like, nope, because there's nothing. It's so nerve wracking to be in the room. They teach it to you super fast. And then you, they're just like, okay, go, go, go. And it just, the voc, I didn't have the vocabulary. I didn't, um, if I had been taught, if I booked a role and was taught a dance, I could do the same dance that I was in the audition, but in the audition, I wouldn't, couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is really intense. I mean, they, I mean, they're 32 bars, you know, and they're just like, oh, here you go. And you get like, made not even 30 minutes sometimes. And then, of course, they'll break you down into like three people at a time, right? Even if you're in a group of like 10 or 15, then they're like, you, you, and you. And then they're just like, okay, again, switch spots. Well, so, so <laughs> you know, it's like, it is nerve wracking. So tell me, not to disparage anybody who's young and, and trying to, be a performer and, and, you know, has butterflies for auditioning because I know that you would like to talk about this at some point. I've heard you say before how much you love the auditioning process and would encourage anybody to do it. But since you're seeing all these people that are triple threats, is it like pro sports? Is it that these kids are being groomed from birth to be performers and their parents are really kind of like maneuvering them around to make sure that they're, or is it more kids that are more like you were when you were 12, 13, 14, just naturally talented and and sort of okay being nurtured and, and go audition for this? I feel like it's a, it's a mix of both. Um, however, I have, um, I work on this project called Growing Up Broadway, where I work with the younger sect of, it's, it's um, people who have been on Broadway when they were younger, and they're adults now. And we do a number of concerts um, with uh, kids that are on Broadway. These kids now... I mean, triple threat, once like School of Rock started, it's like a quadruple threat. These kids play instruments, they dance, they sing. And I think that, yeah, the parents sort of caught on to it. And um, and yeah, it is, it's, you have to do them all. We'll continue down the darker path of this then. Do you think that that is squeezing out some of the great performers that are only one-trick ponies that should be cast in certain roles but never get a shot because they don't have the resume chops? Or do you think that there's still room for, you know, the classic actor, the classic singer? I think there's definitely, there's definitely still room. Absolutely. Actors' equity has changed its policy recently. And I'm curious your stance 
you know, or what your opinion is on this kind of based on what we're talking about now, you know, you have a lot of young actors or people that are being groomed or looking at it from a much younger age. Actors equity has now opened its doors up for anyone. If as long as they pay dues, they can join. That doesn't guarantee them work. It guarantees them an audition and to be seen, but it doesn't guarantee jobs or work. Do you think that this was a push to save actors equity just for money influx or, or do you even think this is a good idea? I'm very mixed on it. I, you know, when I started, it was one of those, it's like a catch 22. You can't audition for an equity show without your equity card, but you can't get your equity card without being in an equity show. But you want, there are some wonderful non-equity theaters and non-equity productions that people can, you know, start out doing or people can work consistently. I, I just hope that anybody joins, who joins the union, you know, is, is able to work in the union. Yeah. Because. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's, do you think it's a benefit for younger actors to wait yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are people that, you know, do one equity show and then they get their card and it's like, and now what? But so, I mean, Brian, you've made, you made a career out of not being a union actor. I mean, it seems to me that there's like, to Emily's point as well, there's plenty of work out there for people that are a part of this. I always picture the the whole equity thing, whether it be the, the stage union or the Screen Actors Guild, you know, some big like gangster collecting union dues every month and sort of squeezing everybody into this weird category. Well, I mean, Tom Hanks single-handedly, you know, supplies SAG with all of his funds, every contract he makes. But but Emily, correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't it always kind of been a situation where, yeah, you do need to be union to do a union show, but they can kind of fast track you back in the day if somebody really wanted you on cast? I got my equity card for the reading of Parade, which... There you um, go. That's a good example. I, I didn't really know what the rules were or anything. Hey, but the um, mob boss has been making money off you, you know what I'm saying? Because you've been paying dues since you were like, what, 15? I know. <laughs> That's pretty know. good. You calculate inflation and, uh, you know, cost of money, time value She's not worried about taxes. She knows exactly what months. Hey. <laughs> May yeah. and November is like, oh, dues are, yeah. dues are up. <laughs> Big Sal needs his check oh, here, Klein. Let's go. I like how you're thinking about it now. It's like, wait a minute. Oh. Uh, that, the ones <laughs> to you do, really got to do watch list. out for. And, and, to, and anyone who's, who's listening knows it's the SAG dues that you... So equity will not come after you for dues because they're like, oh, we know you're in the theater or whatever. So SAG... They, <laughs> they, they, like, right. oh, a bunch of stage actors. They can't... You know. So SAG after, But the, the time you really want to pay your dues and be totally paid up in SAG after is... It's changed now um, because of COVID. Uh, but the November dues, because that would mean you would get the screeners. So all of January, you would get to watch every movie that was nominated for a SAG award, which was usually was nominated for an Oscar from home. And then they went digital with a lot of things and it's not as cool. Right. You want Luca 30 bucks. It's yours. Done. Well, right. well I exactly. appreciate, I appreciate that opinion though. I, I just, I had to, I had to ask cause I know it specifically affects you. It affects the whole industry, but I know for those that are in the union right now, I know there's a lot of expectations or 
you know, not to go back to the word anxiety, but we don't know what's going to happen. But let's jump back to you. Let's jump back to you. Enough, enough of this union well, stuff. I'm an actress. Why would I want to talk about myself? Uh, you it know, should be about me. Is that a spotlight in your room? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into what you have in your rooms because uh, I'm, I'm quite curious about, about your newfound passion. But before we get there, tell us the pandemic. You mentioned the pandemic changing uh, everything from the union all the way down to uh, how people are approaching uh, acting at large. How has this changed you and, and your current status of performing? Like, how has this moved your career? So, you know, the pandemic started and uh, there were a bunch of, you know, Zoom concerts and, uh, you know, virtual cabarets and people, you know, we just had to, we had to sing. So I participated in a couple of them and you had to get somebody to record a track for you, have your track playing from an outside speaker, then have one AirPod in your ear. I was going to say, did you have to have the earpiece or the AirPod? Yeah. And then clap so that they'd know when to sync it and then set up your iPhone on a tripod and then sit and then record it and then find out that your head was cut off. So go and move it again and then, you know, redo it and sing it again. And then you'd, have to send the raw footage and the accompaniment to someone, which to me is like the opposite of live theater. <laughs> no, right. you're right. It, it's a, it's a movie production. It really became film. It, it really yeah. did. It, you know, and I totally relate to some of that. Um, it, it's, it's a whole lot better that you're doing stuff sto- solo than with groups. Cause then you have to, worry about where everybody else is coming in and things like that as well. So how many experiences like this did it take for you to just go, you know what, forget this. I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like two. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. 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 Okay. Yeah, it just, you know, cause the, the audience is such a big part of my performing, especially now as I've gotten more into cabaret performances the audience is a a character. The audience informs all of my acting choices, informs, you know, whatever I do. And and a live audience, you know, even in something like Parade, no two performances are the same. If you don't get a laugh at something, then you won't play it off the way that you would if you had. I love singing, but it's just, that is, it's no fun. And yeah. Well, I hope you do continue to sing, you know, hopefully you're doing live performances because you have a gorgeous voice, but I did enjoy, again, part of my stocking, a lot of your, your videos, especially some of the ones you did at home, but I I love also watching the, you in your element on stage, especially in those cabarets. Um, and thank you for singing part of your world. Because when I saw a picture of you for the first time, I go, she looks like Ariel. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> like, I was like, she's got to sing that. And then all of a sudden, you just randomly, a clip came up. I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, I, I, need, <laughs> I, need, to, I need to give you uh, accolades and, and say thank you for that as well. Because you, you saw my daughter before we started recording. And she got to see the Facebook video that you posted up about, about that song. And she's like, oh, my gosh. She sounds better than the real Ariel. Well, that's <laughs> it was, yeah, wow, it was a that's, big that's a big compliment, and she wow. she sniffs it out. She does. What, what was the, what was the uh, you were at Disney World, and she was seeing princesses, right? 
She, oh yeah, and then she she looked at she 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 met one of the princesses. Yeah, she was five years old, and we took her for her fifth birthday to Disney for the first time, and she uh, was obsessed with meeting Elsa and Anna. And we thought that it was just because Frozen was so incredibly popular, and she'd seen it like fifty thousand times. It turns out she actually wanted to have a little chat with Elsa. She pulled Elsa down and whispered into her ear, and. The, the actor got very upset and, and sort of like whispered something back, quickly recovering. And then my daughter got even more upset and whispered again. And finally, Elsa, this, this cast member, whispered something that I guess satisfied my daughter. She smiles and she gives her a big hug and she walks off. I walked up to her and I said, listen, Elsa, I have to know, what did my daughter say to you? Because we had no idea that was going to happen. It was a negotiation said, apparently yeah. happening. <laughs> she said, well, she demanded to know why I froze Anna's heart. And I told her that it was an accident because I didn't have control of my powers yet. And your daughter said, no, when you hit her head, when you were kids, that was an accident. But the second time, shame on you. You should have known better. <laughs> I thought, what have I done? <laughs> so, no. so you, you got to be careful, Emily, with this lookalike of Ariel. I mean, people could be upset with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, like, no, I'm just thinking that I have to rewatch Frozen again because she might have done it on purpose. I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't, you know. My, my daughter's a tough sale. So, uh, yeah, big accolades from her. I'm an optimist. I, I, I think it was all accidents. So speaking of innocence and uh, and childhood innocence, all right, Emily, I've got to know. So you're oh, doing good segue, good segue. You like that? Yeah, I did like that. That you was like really that nice. Transition? You're doing cabaret now. You realize we're going from Disney. I know. <laughs> okay. You're, you're doing cabaret performances. <laughs> you have a passion for pole dancing, which I really, really want to get into. Growing up and where we grew up, I mean, you're in Reading, Connecticut. You're in the woods. Yeah. You really can't get more conservative than Connecticut, no matter how liberal Connecticut wants to pretend it can be. We went to an extremely conservative, small, private school, and now you're doing cabaret and your passion is pole dancing. How does that transition happen? Well, uh, you know, the best, the best part of Reading is the train to Manhattan. You know, at 15, I was drinking at gay bars in Canada doing workshops or on the road. So, so that was nice. That got me out of where we grew up. I also, uh, my dad was a psychiatrist. My mom was a clinical social worker and they were, you know, extremely liberal. Um, so I never got too pulled into that conservative Connecticut, Fairfield County, whatnot. And, and you, made, you um, made it a point to mention to us when we were talking about having on the show, you did bring up your parents and, and their career history a little bit. You actually spent a first couple of years of your life in, in an institution. Is that correct? Like where your parents were working at a, at a asylum? I I did. It it makes for really good um, two truths and a lie. Um, Okay, we're going to go there because for a minute, I'm so glad that we're now transitioning because I'm thinking that you're in they're putting you in an institution (laughs) for pole dancing. I'm like, I'm like, like, wait, whoa, wait, 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 wait. I thought we were liberal here. Now we're going the other way really hard. What is this, V for Vendetta? No, no, we're not there yet, pal. But okay, so so you're not in the traditional family environment. That's cool. You got the train to New York. You're, you know, a performer, very, very young. So you're exposed to some more um, culturally diverse people and environments? Starting, I would say, in maybe eighth grade, um, I started uh, attending a summer camp called Stage Door Manor, which is the uh, sort of famous performing arts camp that they've made 
couple movies about. Um, Natalie Portman was there when I was there. Mandy Moore was there. Josh Charles went there. Robert Downey Jr. Um, and it was so. So here I am in. This is actually before, right before I did Parader. I had done I think the reading, and here I am in you know in Reading, Connecticut. We're in high school or middle middle school with you know what 48 kids I think there were 17 boys and however many girls makes with the math and when I so my parents drove me up to stage door manor we walk I walked in and in every room there was a piano and somebody in costume singing a show tune it's so cliche but it was like I'm home sounds fabulous all these people that are like me how did the the school and the faculty react to these experiences you were having and the time it was taking away from school? Were they supportive or were they sort of like, well, you're paying for tuition, so we can't complain too much, but <laughs> the check cleared. You're they, right. were, they were, ex- they were, they were very supportive. My, um, I did not, um, let's say I did not participate a lot in the drama and music program much in high school. Um, but the, um, my English teacher, uh, shout out to Mr. Burns and, uh, you know, uh, math teacher, all of they were extremely, extremely supportive. And then my mom would write a note why I couldn't do my homework because I got home from an audition late. Yeah. So uh, Emily was drinking at a gay bar with in um, Toronto. <laughs> yes. In Toronto. She was unable to write your pointless paper. <laughs> she, she, was, she, she would have been home earlier, but they had to stop for gravy and fries. We were, I'm sorry. We were busy doing something worthwhile. We could not bother ourselves with your assignment. My career has started. Um, so yeah. So basically I guess it was sort of the, um, antidote to Connecticut to Fairfield County was stage door manor. And, and those are some of my close friends now that I went to summer camp with. A lot of them are, are working professionally, continue to work professionally. Our parents let us sleep on the street in 1997, I think for rent tickets. Oh, wow. Yeah, you, you can't do that now. <laughs> in 1997, like, you shouldn't have even been able to do it. Like, yeah, it was... Well, parents, no, I, I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't world. have been... Like, you're right. You shouldn't have been able to do right. it. But, yeah, but in now, two, it's, in 2021, now it's just like a huge red flag. Your parents would be canceled and jailed. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Um, you know, and, and so it was co-ed sleepovers, but the co-ed sleepovers were like, let's sing all of Into the Woods from start to finish. Um, you know, a total lot of, a theater lot of the, geek. I, I wish I had yeah. had more of that when I was growing up. Me too. I, I, I really did. I mean, I got into things a lot later, but I, I sang, you know, so, you know, you tried to play sports, but then when you were doing choir and you start getting into professional type situations, like you can't do the everyday stuff that everyone else is doing that all your buddies and friends are doing. You just, you have to choose at that point. You know, so so our school, we did have a choir and we had uh, two acapella groups as well. There was a boys acapella group and a female acapella group. If you can picture a, a prep day school, private school in Connecticut and like how cheesy into being in the acapella group all of us uh, kids got. No, that's, got. that's pretty stereotypical it, it right now. <laughs> I'm picturing that. Yeah. It, it was definitely... Uh, the Glee Club right there. The Glee Club gets like, you know, 
like sodas thrown at them and stuff and they get mocked and th in this school it was like all pop collar cool and we were strutting down the hallways oh we it's like one a, of those yeah it was oh bad. that's different oh that's different it was really it was so, awful. so like a, a worse version of a barbershop quartet a much like, worse version. Like, like, like a wannabe cool barbershop quartet. Yeah, that knew yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like when it, we, we were right on that on the cusp of that era when acapella became really huge in like colleges. Wait, wait, did you have two colors? Uh, no, but I should have. Okay. Um, what was it? It was it was like a a button down shirt, and was it a bow tie or a tie? It was a tuck. It was a tuck shirt. Yeah, black bow tie, a white. Not, not tuck the sweater. Bun. Not the sweater like tied no, across no, the no, top. No, no, okay. no, no, God then, damn it! That was no Afghans. No, but it, it was, was a cummerbund and then Bermuda Bermuda shorts. jam shorts. Oh and, my and, word! Uh, high top sneakers. Yeah, we it need, was. We need pictures. Yeah, they exist, unfortunately. But we, it need, was, we need to find those. Those need to get out. We it, need to get those on social media asap. It was awkward. But Emily, you told me a story recently, and, and I, I forgive me for bringing up old wounds, but it just. Blew That's my fine. mind I'm so still much. Healing, but you know. So it turns out that Emily tried out for the female acapella group and gets freaking rejected. That's because you didn't right. have a pop collar. Tell me, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> it was all about the wardrobe, apparently. <laughs> Honest confession for the world to hear. That had to be because they were annoyed that you were a star, right? That had so, to be. You know, I don't know if it was that or if it was just, you know, I. I don't know if you remember, but I was definitely not the most popular in in high school. Well, we can kind of relate on that. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was a bit of a popularity contest and they didn't accept a lot of freshmen. And and I don't know, they they you wouldn't remember this, but they posted the list of who got in. And, and I was like, of course, of course, I'll get in. Like, why would I, you know, I'm the only one who can actually probably really sing in this I go to school. gay bars in Toronto and right. with Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> God no, damn it. I've done um, parade. And the, the day that the list went up, we left for... Probably the one we were up in uh, Chewankee, Maine would yes, be my guess, might, right? It, it was, yeah, it was that or it was somewhere. I don't know, but I got up there and I got like... I had 103 fever the whole time. They put the list up. There were two freshmen that got in, and then we had to ride. I had to ride the bus while they got congratulated uh -huh. the whole way up. Wow. To yeah. See this. So th this is actually very classic. Wow. So again, that that's like it's like I'm not. Yeah. That's a very slap in the face. Yeah. So so this small private school, they were they were all about being like super inclusive, and you can be as weird as you want. It's so cool. But to Emily's story. They were so bad about excluding kids for these things. It was the weirdest deal. It was like, here's who got picked for the soccer team, and these kids need to not do soccer. It was that's, very weird. That's, that's rough. Well, you know it, what? It You turned out just great. And I, I honestly, you know, you think that maybe that was your path needed needed that unfortunately it sucks at the time but you I think I mean I, I think you'd agree you ended up in a better better position than you thought. I did. I did. It wasn't, I, my, and I do credit my parents for always making sure that I had something else that, you know, I, I was not athletic. Although if we get to the pole stuff now, I am more athletic. I was about to say, wait a minute, pole dancing <laughs> is pretty, that takes a lot of athletic stamina to do that. It does. Well, okay. Um, we, you've, you've, we've teased long enough about the pole dancing. Let, let's get into that. First of all, you want to get on the pole? I want to get on the pole. All right. 
I'd be, I'd, no one wants to see me get on the pole, but I want to get on the pole. <laughs> that is an absolute fact. <laughs> you, you know, my wife would be brilliant on the pole. I don't think it's her cup of tea, but because she's a dancer, she would, she'd be able to work it really well. Um, <laughs> if, I love you, Mist, if you're listening to this episode. Um, let's back up just a little bit. How did pole dancing come into your life? Because I, I know it happened with a series of events that was going on. Right. So, yes. So we'll back up to um, in April of 2018. Um, I found out quite by accident that I carried the uh, BRCA2 genetic mutation, um, which is the breast cancer gene. Um, Angelina Jolie famously had it. Christina Applegate. Um and it comes with an 80% risk of a really, really bad triple negative breast cancer and a 60% chance of ovarian cancer, um, as well as pancreatic cancer, melanoma. Um, like all the worst things yeah, ever yeah, you can yeah, think stuff of right you, now. You, you really don't want. Um, and so I made the decision to have a prophylactic double mastectomy, and it was the best decision I ever made. And I had already had my daughter. She was, I guess, four at the time. Uh, and then a couple years later, I had my ovaries removed, which is great. Um, it, you know, causes so much anxiety. You can either uh, have surveillance or you can, you know, remove parts. Now I have a one to three percent chance of breast cancer. For uh, women, it's like eight to nine percent on average. I had lost all of my upper body strength. Not that I had any to begin with. Um, and I just didn't, you know, there was, there was nothing there. I couldn't, I couldn't do a, a push up, but I don't even think I could do a push up before. And everyone was saying, you're so strong. You're so brave. And to me, I, I didn't think of myself as strong or brave. I just felt like I was smart. Like I made the right decision for myself, for my family. I found good doctors, um, it was well executed and I, um, felt very lucky, sort of like I had a, a crystal ball, but I heard, you know, you're a warrior, you're strong, you're this, you're that. And I was like, I'm not really strong physically, like, you know, m muscular or anything like that. And, um, I had done, you know, I was never one of those gym rats or, or I, I never really got that. It wasn't about the endorphins for me. And I started doing, Pilates, I really liked it. And a friend of mine does pole dancing. She kept trying to get me to try, trying to get me to try. And then finally, in October, in the pandemic, um, one of my, uh, one of the teachers of the Pilates studio I go to was said she was going to a pole class in New Jersey. I said, okay, I'll go. I realized that I could hold myself up on the pole, which is crazy. And it was it's this, it's so cliche, but it is so empowering because it's, you know, it's, it's your own body weight. It's your own, you know, um, and, and I kept at it. Then I started taking classes at, um, body and pole, which is one of the major training centers. They do, uh, silks, they do the hoop, they do, um, pole, everything. What I didn't know is that um, you know, I'm very, 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 very sex positive, sex worker positive. Um, I think, I mean, what, what people do is incredible. And I, I never knew that there's also a whole aspect of 
like competitive pole dancing. And I started to meet these really interesting people and it just became addictive and incredible. And then I started to have these back muscles and you just feel incredible that you're like climbing up a pole and it's just this incredible feeling. So now I have one in my living room. Well, so, well, hold on. First, yeah, first of all, we'll I, talk about that. I, hold on. First of all, I, I think it's amazing that you're able to talk about that because that you that you put yourself through uh, for what you say very smart decisions or or whatever you your choice was at that time. That that's just it seems very scary hearing that putting yourself through a lot. Obviously, wanting to be on the 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 more positive end of that. So I'm glad it worked out really well, and I'm glad that you're able to to share that because that that's none of what you did was easy, even if it felt like the right answer to do. I have a question about this though, because I'd like our listeners who who don't uh, have the education and the background to understand these genetic markers and understand the risk factors that that they might be um, facing as women, especially. I also stumbled across a, a lung disease that I have by complete chance. So I know that these things happen. Um, but how did you happen to get a test that would lead to to knowing that you have that marker, to knowing that you have... I, I almost want to say I think that women of a, of a certain age, like in their 20s or, or even early 30s, should just go get tested. My father was adopted, and we knew nothing of his family. So, you know, when we went for genetic testing for our daughter when I was pregnant, um, which obviously doesn't test for this, but tests for, you know, what the, what the baby could have. I didn't know any, you know, my entire part of my family tree is just, we don't know. And nobody on my mom's side had anything. And I kept thinking, you know, I'm, uh, I'm Jewish, but I've got red hair, blue eyes. And I, I just sort of wanted to know if, what my ancestral background was. So I got 23 in me. And at this point, 23 in me did not have the BRCA test on it. It had uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. They keep updating it. And, uh, and so I got an alert and I will tell you, and um, it was the reason I remember is April, 2018, because it was 420, 2018. Uh, 420. I was, you know, <laughs> sorry. Not, it's a very memorable date to remember. It is. It is. It and really I is. was, you know, not in the state to really take anything seriously. <laughs> I'm so jealous um, of all of you people that can partake in that. I'm, I'm like deathly allergic to it. So, oh no, it's horrible. I have a, you know, when you get BRCA, they give you, and this was obviously before, but they give you your, your medical card. Um, my, so. my my grandmother, when she had cancer, when in her older age, used to to smoke joints. So she used to sit with me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, well, I'm, I'm not I'm not jealous of disease, but I'm certainly jealous of partaking in in the fun uh, edibles and and things that you can you can vape and whatnot. Right, right. So so there I am. I look at my phone. It says, you know, you have a new a new test result for a variant for BRCA. And I just thought about my mom's family, and I said, okay. I don't, I'm not going to have this. And I'm swiping. It's like, you know, do you want to know? Yes. Are you sure you want to know? Yes. Are you a hundred thousand percent positive that you want to know if you carry this genetic mutation? And this is that, yes. that this is that day you're like, yes. like bleary, yes. barely able like, to see bag of Doritos next to you and you're. Oh yeah. 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 My <laughs> friends visiting from uh, cool San Francisco. We're in a hotel. We're, you know, it's like, I'm having yeah. fun. Got it. 
And so some gravy I, and fries. <laughs> some gravy. <laughs> so it said you have so there's BRCA one and there's BRCA two. Um and it said you are positive for one of the mutations for BRCA two. And I was like, Oh. And then for a week I just ignored it. I was like, okay. And then, you know, I I went to the doctor, got the blood test, got tested, and it confirmed it. 23andMe is not the way that I would go about finding out. No, that seems um, a bit harsh. No, I think if for all of our listeners, we would want you, or as and Emily would endorse this, to talk to your doctor and your physician, get tested. So, well, here's the thing. So the rules are changing with... Um, there's so much research being done, which is incredible. Uh, the problem is, so what they used to is if you had breast cancer on your mother's side or ovarian cancer, then they would test. And also if you were of Ashkenazi Jewish descent. Now, from what I understand, you know, when you go, when, when um, you're, you first get pregnant or, you know, your wife gets pregnant, um, you go for the whole test panel and they had to do an Ashkenazi panel and they do it for everyone. And you're like, well, I'm not, you know, if you're not Jewish, why am I getting this? Well, Braca is a Ashkenazi Jewish, uh, mostly related to being Ashkenazi Jewish. Uh, there's check two, there's palp B, there's one that's like MTH something. It looks like motherfucker, but it's like MTHFR or something. <laughs> no, from now um, on it's motherfucker. That's great. I got the like motherfucker mutation without seeing that. I mean, it's what everyone's um, probably thinking too. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, uh, basically a lot of people were finding out that they had BRCA when they were diagnosed with cancer. I got this from my dad and a lot of people thought, well, how can you get a breast cancer gene from your, from your father? In that regard, if you're, if, if a male has um, a BRCA cancer or a cancer related with a lot of, a lot of these genetic cancers are usually pancreatic, prostate. And so if, if a male has prostate cancer, his children should be tested for, he should be tested for BRCA. And if he does have it, then his children should be because if he has daughters that's breast cancer that's everything and that was not that's that's what's happening now um there are two tests that i know of one is called invitae and one is called color and they're direct to consumer genetic tests where you can get a whole panel of what you might carry and a lot of people say you know i don't want to know i don't want to know but this is stuff that you can actually do stuff about you know it's not yeah, and just to throw out some statistics, because as you've been telling the story and, uh, and, and telling your story with this, I've been doing a little bit of, of magic Googling over here. And, you know, like you said, the average lifetime risk of breast cancer is anywhere from 10 to 12% for women. But if you do have BRCA1 or BRCA2, at least according to the website that I'm on right now, your risk of developing breast cancer goes up between 69 and 72%. That's an absolutely unacceptable risk. So kudos to you for making the right choice, which I know, oh, I shouldn't say I know, I can imagine was, was very, very difficult. But with those numbers, I mean, I just cannot imagine anybody not wanting to be armed with the information to, to avoid a very seriously painful uh, and, and, and terrible outcome. But physically, okay, so you're, you're doing pole dancing now. So what did having all that happen to you and physically changing your body 
how did that affect you and get you into the, into pole dancing? I mean, did that help? Is that where it helped enhance because you were doing a lot of uh, therapy, like physical therapy and things like that? Or did it just, it, it changed you just in general about your whole outlook? It's so, this is so sad, but I have realized that at this point in time is the first time that I've been actually happy with my body. Now Instagram is sort of the new thing that that girls look up to with the filters. For us, it was, you know, the magazine covers. Are they photoshopped? Are they not? There isn't really physical therapy um, required. And, um, you know, for for all those wondering, my uh, actual mastectomy was done um, over the muscle. Um, They used to do under the muscle, like under the pectoral implant, Mm -hmm. which they still do. But over the muscle is sort of a, when I had it done, the new way to do it. So um, it's less, um, I wouldn't say less invasive, but just it's, you know, it's not under. um, Less, it doesn't affect as much. Yeah. Like like post-surgery. Well, I tell you what, you know, you bring up you bring up people talking about how when you had your your surgeries, they were calling you a warrior and, and a trooper and all these things, and you're so brave. And and quite frankly, I think that uh, that's all very accurate. I think that you were tremendously brave and, and you were a warrior to do this. I also hear people use that kind of language when they talk about somebody's, let's say, Instagram account or social media account where they are proud of what they're doing and proud of what they're accomplishing, especially when it involves their body, right? And you and I are Instagram friends, and I know you're Instagram friends of the show, and you do uh, quite a bit of posting about what you've been doing with the cabaret work and the, and the pole work and all of that. And I, I actually would call that gracious. And I would say thank you for being gracious enough to do that because you bring up what gets idolized on Instagram. You talk about those models and what girls are looking up to. And as a father of an eight-year-old, almost nine-year-old daughter, I'm terrified of her coming across, you know, really awful body images out there and, and, and trying to press herself into a box. And it, it really, really freaks me out. And I, I come across this a lot in film as well. So thank you for being gracious enough to post up and share stories. Well, I and- like the fact that you were so positive about it. Like you weren't going to look at the negative side. I mean, I was reading up about it and you had stuff posted saying the Tata tour. I was also lucky enough to, with the support of my dad had passed away, but you know, with the support of my mom, uh, able to have the resources to find incredible doctors and to fund incredible doctors. And not everybody is so no, that's, lucky. That's a true blessing. There's no doubt about that. When you, you know, swap out parts of you that make you a woman that you've had, you know, your entire life. Well, I, I think I got mine like right after high school, right? Right before freshman year. I was like as, as flat as, as I could be in high school. Um, me me too. Me too. Don't like, worry. you want to and that's what it that it's what it was it it wasn't you know part of it was a strength but part of it was also like I feel like I want to you know rediscover some some kind of sexuality and I I want to feel good in my body how did your husband react when you told him you were going to the class, you wanted to see what it was like. I mean, you, you've evolved from class to a pole in your own living room. Well, I, so. I, feel, I feel like he'd be good with the class, right? I think the, the biggest adjustment is when the pole or the class comes into the home, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's like everybody, it's like, oh, your husband is so lucky. 
I don't think he's, you know, I'll send him videos after my class. Look what I did. Look what I did. So when you first start pole, you know, it's intro to pole and level one. And, and that's all about embracing your sexuality and a lot of, you know, body roles and, you know, walking around and, and this and that. And then once you get to level two, it doesn't look very pretty because you're trying to be like, okay, my hand goes here and wait, I have to just grip the pole with like that little bit of skin from my knee pit. And, and so Such sexy talk right there, the, super, the, the knee yeah. pit, my knee pit, right? <laughs> And I, you know, part of it is also we do live in, it, it's a sizable apartment for, for New York, but, you know, it's not like we have a pole in our basement and we can put our daughter to bed and then go hang out with the pole. The pole is still in our living room, <laughs> did, steps away from you, our daughter's Did bedroom. you name it? <laughs> did you name the pole? Is no, it, but we, but we should. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, so, isn't that like so, bad luck? He said, okay, but it's, it's, it's not staying up there. So the way that it works is... It's a, basically it's a, it's a tension rod and it wasn't an embarrassment thing. It was just like, I don't want to bump a, into sure, it. It's a I don't want it, you know, yeah. it was conversation just, piece. So yeah. But he's a guy. It so like, it's, it's something to walk around and that's annoying. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Man, right. You just swing around it. Like, it's just like, you <laughs> and everyone's like, you know, Oh, you know, he must be so excited. My wife yeah. started pole dancing, but that was it. You know, it's, it's like it's Ray and Ghostbusters. He's like, there's, say, a, okay, there's a fire pole yeah. in there. And so I got it. And my, daughter jumped on it she had so much fun and we're talking february covid new york city so how much physical activity is she getting none absolutely none she doesn't have ballet class she doesn't have anything so yeah you were effectively she, the american poster child of lockdown all of manhattan and, and the boroughs right which is right? sort of like and you might identify with this as a father of a daughter but um she did not want that thing to come down. Oh, and I and all she had to say was, Daddy, I don't want to take down the pole. And he said, okay. So it's been up since oh, February. You have, you have no idea how correct you are. Oh, yeah. I, no, I, I'm, the outside, I I'm the outside witness. I watch it. I, I, physici- I watch this every day. <laughs> we have it's, a- it's so great. I love it, actually. And, and, and I don't want to... Philip's such a great dad, and I I love watching. Well, thank you, sir. You are, but I love, and, and I know how much you love your daughter, but she has got you pegged, man. And just to see you wanting to get upset, but then you don't, it, it's 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 almost hilarious because because you're like, I, that's not what we agreed upon, and just you could see her testing the boundaries, and she's got she knows when to re, like when to stop. And when to press. Yeah, and I, it, it's it's impressive. And I'm just like, huh. <laughs> I'm just like watching. <laughs> it's like watching a TV show. And you're just like, that's, so that's happening. It's okay. true. <laughs> Emily, Emily, and, and to your story, it, it's so true. Uh, you know, we, we happen to have a mannequin that lives in my living room slash dining room area. They're a combined room. Cynthia. Cynthia the mannequin because she's synthetic. So I named her Cynthia. I can't stand this thing. My wife showed up with it one day. I have wanted it out from the moment I set eyes on it. But my daughter, like your daughter with the pole, but daddy, I love Cynthia. Oh. See, now you have to name the pole. It, it, he named the you mannequin. Do. You do. So you got to okay, name yeah, the pole gonna, now. So so my husband has not, what is it? It's, I don't even, August. So the, it, he hasn't gotten any any private dances at, at all. And going back to where I said I hated recording myself singing, 
I actually like setting up the tripod and recording, doing a, a pole dance. And, you know, then put it on Instagram. Um, I'm too old to try to figure out how to use TikTok. Um, but, and it was, there was a, a post put up where it's like every, every pole dancer when their husband walks in. So I'm doing a dance and I've got it all planned out. I've got the music playing and he walks in and it's like, oh, that was a perfect take. That was amazing. And you screwed it up. Get out. So that's pretty much his experience with me in the poll. Is he? So now he's just frustrated. Yeah. You you should do a series of Instagram stories of husbands your husband's reaction every time you're dancing. You know what I mean? That should just be it. You should have a little routine, like just do a little thirty second clip, and then just flash right to his face. Just get like, like, a, like a YouTube just, webcam. <laughs> he gets triggered by his motion yeah, when he comes just, across. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, I had a friend that was also a pole dancer. And, and when she first got her pole and put something up on Instagram, her husband was sitting in the corner reading the paper. And more people commented on the fact that he was just looking down and reading the paper while she's, you know, <laughs> half naked on the pole. That's so and, good. You can find Emily if you want to try to friend her at Emmy EPS on Instagram. So that is her Instagram. She's got a lot of great, great stuff on there. But Emily, before we get let you get out of here, because we've kept you here long enough, is there anything that you're working on currently right now, aside from your, your pole dancing activities? Uh, anything I'm working on. Uh, so I have not, um, it's, it's sort of a seed has been planted in my head that I, um, as we talked about before, I had, you know, incredible experience with Hal Prince with, um, Broadway off Broadway. And I think what the pandemic has given so much of us is sort of time to reflect. And, and as I mentioned before, and I don't think I ever answered the question. So, um, my, Dad was a psychiatrist. My mom was a clinical social worker. The reason that we lived on the grounds of a mental institution was because they both worked at Cornell uh, in White Plains. And so they were, uh, my dad was a doctor there. My mom was a super supervisor. And so they had a house on the grounds. And um, I have always wanted to be a therapist. I am a huge, huge uh, mental health advocate um, and I have been, uh, giving, you know, free therapy to my friends and, and family for years. Hopefully it's, it's good. Um, so we're so, going to put her number on speed call. Oh, no, I, I, oh man. Wow. I sound so bad saying that speed, speed dial speed. <laughs> is a speed call speed dial. Um, well, is bro, that even a thing anymore? I, do they? No, I don't think so. No, it's just voice call now or voice, whatever. I think you just tell Siri or Alexa. <laughs> or I don't know. Are we considered boomers? Is that, yeah, is Brian, that Brian is starting to sound like me. It's no, that's bit, not. Okay. Scary. So we'll, anyway, you know what I mean, um, but we're just going to call you up for the show. Anytime we need something, we'll just be like, Hey, Emily, by the way, we have this question. Right. <laughs> so you exactly. could be you could be our exactly. neighbors don't knock therapists. <laughs> um, so I am seriously thinking about uh, going back to get my master's in social work. See, um, see, there you go with it, the bravery again. <laughs> you are really showing us uh, low hanging fruit folk right? up in a really big way here. I know. Um, you know, I, I'm done with walking around saying I should have done this. I should, you know, my parents were. 
to your point, you know, when you said before, after you did that reading, your parents were like, you're never doing this again. My parents, I, I did a reading and they were like, you're doing this. That's how Prince it's, he loves you. This is go do it, go do it. And you know, it wasn't like follow your dreams. It was, you've already made money through high school doing this, continue to do it. And I get mad at them because they, they, they didn't, it wasn't really, you know, I didn't have a, a backup, but, um, I, I feel like I could have, you know, been a contender. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, I, um, it's sort of like I, you know, I'll be 40 next year and, and I'm going to do something else. And, and because I've gotten into this, um, cabaret work, which I guess I will go ahead and plug, which is, um, growing up Broadway, which is something that I was, uh, involved in from the beginning, uh, produced by a friend of mine named Dara Page Bloomfield, who was one of uh, the, I believe she was the second little girl in ragtime. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's a bunch of, uh, you know, adults who were kids on Broadway and some of them are still working and some of them are not. And then we are paired with, um, actual kids on Broadway. So the frozen Elsa's and the school of rock kids and, um, all of those, all of those people, precocious kids. Um, and, uh, we'll have this link in the episode description for our listeners. So you can check that out. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, so we perform mostly, we perform at, um, studio 54, uh, 54 below, which is Feinstein's 54 below, which is the, I would say the major cabaret venue or one of them. And um, sometimes the kids play, kids sing adult songs. The adult sings the kids songs. And it's much funnier when, when a child is, you know, singing tits and ass from, from chorus, chorus line. And, <laughs> you know, when it is, you know, a little girl singing, you know, the, uh, an older child, an older child, an adult singing something from secret garden which well is we're just, all just know, older just child children right we're just older so. children um, <laughs> i do hope so. <laughs> right but because i you know i'm i'm doing that and i i my i really do want to uh write and produce my own cabaret show that's something that's on my list and then you know i'll get my master's in social work and i'll still perform and it'll you know I'll, well, I'll I'd love I'd love to audition for you. So you let me know when that's going on. I'd love to audition for you if you have a, a cabaret <laughs> going on. Well, and if I could if I could put out a personal plea, Emily, I really do hope that as you go and you excel and you get your master's, which I have no doubt that if you decide to pursue that, you will do it and you will um, do it as the superstar that you have come to be in every other aspect of your life. And we're rooting for you for it too. Indeed, I, I really do hope that you do mix the performance with therapy because I really think that. There is so much about performance that even even when I was kind of a, a, a lost and sideways kid, if I had gotten more into being able to kind of package those emotions and put them out in a performance, I think it would have saved me a lot of strife and, and uh, I think I would have had an easier path. So I really do hope that you can find a way to kind of merge those worlds as you go forward. Yeah, I think... Um I am a firm believer that that every child, you know, age ten or twelve, should should uh, take an improv class. Oh, for sure, absolutely, I agree Amount with that. Amount hundred percent tools that you use, the amount of thing, the amount of just um, risks that you take, and things that you learn about yourself, and and what you were talking about before. Um, 
I think when I was on mute, the um the improv game where you are the uh you're talking for the people that are it was like the subtitles. Oh yeah, I, for I, the, I yeah. love yeah, I love improv games. Yeah. So that was it, the people sort of yell at each other, and you they don't talk with any um, words, and then you say what they're saying is what it is, or I think you say what they're saying, and they have to act it out or something. But but I digress. Anyway, I think yes, I will definitely keep that, and I will never ever ever stop performing because there's nothing better than a than a live audience. Um, it's it's incredible. Well, well, we are grateful to hear that. Yeah, we're grateful just to have you carve out some time for us. I mean, of course, Broadway. I, I'm going to say Broadway star because you you've done plenty out there. So you may not think so. I think so. I think our listeners would think so. You've gotten to work with and done some amazing things. But you guys can find and see Emily perform if you're in the New York area. You can go out and check her out when she's doing her cabarets. Or if you are not, go to YouTube and look up Miss Emily Klein. She has a YouTube channel. You can see her gorgeous voice on display there. And again, we'll have all the links in the episode description for you guys to find her. If you're interested in getting in touch with her about pole dancing, I highly suggest you do. Absolutely. Or um, genetic cancers, anything anyone want to talk about? that please you know what did the kids say slide into my dms or you know there you go also no any idea future, future, future therapy <laughs> that you might need you might want to get in now before her rates are too high for any of us to right. afford yeah get the <laughs> early bird special for uh, emily klein therapy sessions yes yes so but emily thank you so much we really appreciate it Philip, we are getting to that time. We are indeed. Emily, this has been great. Thank you again from the bottom of our hearts. And to all of our listeners out there, please do like, follow, and subscribe. You can find us on any platform where you get your podcasts. Well, most platforms. But if not, you can go to NeighborsDon'tKnock.com. Indeed. That's right. We drop episodes every Friday. We'll see you guys later. Peace. Out. Out.